From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. One of the most interesting developments in the Jesuit world these days is the emergence of a field called Ignatian leadership. This concept comes from the idea that Ignatian spirituality has a huge amount to offer leaders today, whether or not they're working in quote-unquote religious contexts. A lot of those Jesuit concepts that have been at the heart of the order since its founding can be incredibly helpful to leaders today. I'm talking about things like discernment, freedom, and prayerful reflection through practices like the Daily Examine. There's a lot to dig into here. One of the flagship programs promoting Ignatian leadership is called Contemplative Leaders in Action, or CLA. CLA gathers young adults in cities across the country for study, reflection, and hands-on leadership experiences rooted in the Jesuit tradition. I'm a proud 2012 grad of the CLA program in Philadelphia. My guest today heads up the CLA program and several other Ignatian young adult ministry programs. His name is Sean Sanford, and he is the Director of Leadership and Young Adult Programs for the Office of Ignatian Spirituality of the USA East Jesuit Province. I've known Sean since I was 12 years old, when he started as the youth minister at my childhood parish in suburban New Jersey. He's more responsible than any other person for my own career in church work, so it was a blast to ask him about Ignatian leadership and how we can try to integrate some of these core principles into our own life. Whether you're managing people at work or trying to help raise kids or just trying to have better relationships with the people around you, Sean offers some awesome elements from the Ignatian tradition that can help all of us live richer, more holistic lives. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Well, Sean Sanford, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. How are you? Good, good. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So not every day I get to interview someone I've known since I was 12 on the show. <laughs> you and I go way back. I was 12 um, too. <laughs> you were 12 too. That's right. No, no. So you were the youth minister at my, my church growing up in New Jersey from the time mm -hmm. I was in middle school. So I've known you a long time. You're actually probably the number one person, number one reason I'm doing this job here in, in the church and have had my whole career in the church. So um, it's nice cool. to have you on to not talk about our history, though that could be a whole one. Before we started sure. recording, we were talking about the best pizza in New Jersey. We could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> we, You and I have eaten together a number of very good pizza places. However, sure. um, I don't think the listening public will be that interested in that. To um, their detriment, yes. I know. It's, we, we'll have to start a separate feed uh, for the, the Jersey culinary uh, adventure. We sent out a tweet the other day. It got me in trouble. Um, it was National Pizza Day, and so I tweeted from the official Jesuit account that <laughs> there were only two universities you could go to if you wanted to go to one that was close to good pizza, and they were St. Peter's and Jersey City and Fordham, and then all the Midwest people got very upset. So yeah, that was exactly my hope, too. Yeah. Um, Midwest nice? I don't think so. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, so why don't we uh, – so maybe we start by just you could tell the folks a little bit about yourself uh, and what you do. Sure, sure. Um so I did. I grew up in central New Jersey, um, a town called Bridgewater, and uh, my my family was very, very involved with our parish. My mom actually worked at our parish when I was a kid. She was the uh, director of religious education and about 900 other roles that they had uh, her do. Um, and my mom actually had always has always worked for the Catholic Church. She, she came to the United States from Ireland um, 
in about 1960, 61, uh, as actually a, a Catholic woman religious. And uh, that in and of itself is a, is a really interesting story. But conversely, my mom's a, a, an immigrant, but my dad's family's been here uh, since the 1630s. So we've got we've got some interesting varied history there. But, um, you know, growing up, I think the, the church was really the central place in our lives. Um, and it was probably unique. It feels unique now. Let me put it that way. At the time, it just felt normal. Um, it was a really vibrant parish. Uh, it was very inspired by the Second Vatican Council. Um, there was a lot of outreach to families, young people, um, and it was in a kind of a growing suburb. So they the, the parish kept getting larger and larger, and it was nice. Uh, it was it was a nice experience to be sort of in the middle of all that. One of the one of the really early memories I have is my parents, one of their best friends was a Jesuit from Fordham um, who used to come out. He was a visiting uh, priest at our parish, but he stayed with us when he would come. And so most weekends we had Father Joe Barton who uh, would stay with us. And that was really my first exposure to the Jesuits. Um, and it was a great one. It was great to to get to, to be able to know him and talk with him and um, probably because of him, when I was very young, I decided I was going to be a Jesuit, um, and uh, and I, actually that that lasted for quite a while. Uh, Joe unfortunately died pretty young from diabetes, but his impact was sufficient that um, after twelve years of Catholic education, educated by the IHM sisters and the Sacred Heart brothers, um, when I applied to college. Um, I think I ended up applying to 10 because I had no idea what I was doing. And I think eight or nine of them were Jesuit schools because that just felt like where one goes to college. Um, and I ended up very gratefully at uh, St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. And uh, it was and is sort of the primary, um, you know, touch point for me in terms of sort of where I am today. You know, the, my upbringing brought me there, but what I experienced there sort of formed the trajectory of the of the last it's 25 years now, which is hard to say out loud. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's sort of the early years in a nutshell. So like your mom, you're a, a church career lifer. Mm -hmm. um, and For good uh, or bad, yeah. Yeah, some days, you never know. Um, so you bounced around a little bit. Uh, we can flash, like maybe fast forward past the time that I was a teenager, or even before I was a teenager, when you were working at a parish and started your own nonprofit to do Jesuit inspired social justice <clears throat> education and service immersion. Uh, so but you come, came back to the Jesuits. Um, <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, despite not being one. So could you yeah. maybe just talk a little bit about your current role? Um, yeah. So uh, I, you know, I, I, I did the spiritual exercise in college with Father Bruce Bittinger, uh, who I was very close with. And unfortunately, he also has passed, since passed, but um, and and was in a Jesuit associates program for a year in discernment about entering society. And, um, but I was working in a parish, as you said, it's the parish where you and I met. And <clears throat> I was also working for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia and kind of realized that I was doing what I, what I wanted to be doing and, um, and that I wasn't called to sacramental life. Um, and as I, I've said to my now boss's boss, father, Chris, uh, brother, Chris Dury, excuse me. Um, you know, no one actually talked to me about like Jesuit brothers at the time. So I think that, that could have been a game changer. But anyway, um, so, so yeah, I worked in the archdiocese, worked for the parish. Um, I ended up working for a Vincentian retreat center, um, became the executive director there and started a series of programs in collaboration with my mom, um, which were, there was at the time in the, in the late nineties, there was a whole lot of 
there was a lot of service immersion programming happening at the high school and college level. And when I looked around at the high school programs, I felt like context, Catholic social teaching was completely missing, right? So there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, stuff that was good, uh, a lot of good service programming that was being done and a, and a whole lot of stuff around uh, spirituality. And that was also good, but it was kind of a big gap. I thought that we, we could go to these things and at no point would like the teachings of the church on poverty, for example, be discussed. So we started these programs in, in conjunction with the Vincentian Retreat Center I used to work at. And uh, when the retreat center unfortunately closed, um, we spun it off into a, a nonprofit organization called the Center for Faith Justice, where you and I have had a chance to do some work together. And um, that's when I discovered that I have a real fondness for starting things and like get building, building organizations. <clears throat> and and I, I did that for about five years and, and handed that off. Um, and at that point, my, my wife at the time was eager for me to be finished with my doctoral work. So I took some time off, was doing consulting with, with parishes and dioceses and schools mostly around um, mission effectiveness and um, was working on my PhD in religion. And then in 2015, my, my wife passed away and, um, and I needed a job, you know, like I, I was like, Oh wow. Uh, so as, as uh, luck or fate or God would have it, um, I got a phone call. Uh, someone told me about um, an opening in Philadelphia for a very part-time position uh, working on a program called Contemplative Leaders in Action. It was about five hours a week, and I was like, well, I got to start somewhere. So I went and talked with with the folks there. And um, in the course of that interview, the woman who was running it, Mary Tracy, who I have great respect and admiration for, she said, you know, I'm actually retiring, and I think you should apply for what, what I'm doing, my role here running uh, CLA. <clears throat> which was great because leadership development had become a big, big focus for me in terms of my, my pastoral work. And, uh, yeah, so in 2015, I was hired by what was then called the Jesuit collaborative and, um, to run contemplative leaders in action, which is a cohort driven model, uh, for Ignatian spirituality and leadership development for people in their twenties and thirties. Um, a couple years later, um, we added two additional wonderful programs. One's called Caris Ministries. It's a it's a, a national retreat program based for young adults rooted in Ignatian spirituality. And then we added Jesuit Connections, which is a like kind of a community building program again rooted in the in Ignatian spirituality for young adults. So, as of this past year, we have about sixteen hundred young adults involved um, in those three programs. We're sponsored by the Eastern Province. The Office of Ignatian Spirituality was. It was underneath the uh, Northeast and Maryland provinces. And when they merged, we became Eastern Province employees. And uh, it's sponsored by them. But we have we have young adults in, oof, I th certainly we have them in at least 30 different states, uh, in multiple provinces in Canada and seven other countries because we offer a lot of virtual programming. COVID taught us a lot. So we um, did a lot of virtual programming. So that's that's sort of uh, the work that I've been doing for the last six, almost six years now, five and a half years. That's another classic church work story, right? Like you come on, you start, you're doing one thing, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually do these six other things too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, to be fair, you know, I uh, my, my then uh, boss, Father George Witt, um, 
you know, I think he was he was very supportive and, and it's I'm the one who loves to build things. So, you know, when I came, we had about 100 and I think 105, 110 people. I'd have to look at the numbers in CLA. Um, this year we have uh, almost 140 in CLA, 600 involved in, in, in other programs, uh, in CARES programs. We have 730 alums. So I've really enjoyed building and I've really loved the fact that the Office of Nation Spirituality and the provinces have given me the capacity to, to do that. Um, it's a little frustrating sometimes, but that's ministry, right? You know, it's, it's, you're always, you're always going for one thing and kind of dealing with another. So I am a, a proud CLA alum. My wife and I did it before we were married. Um, and uh, we, someone we met in that program in Philadelphia became our oldest kid's godmother. Some of our closest friends we met through that. Um, it was just a, such a cool experience bringing together these young adults from all different backgrounds and just really interesting people who wanted to see how their faith could guide their life with like a specific emphasis like on the professional life. But it was it was early in the program. So it was definitely like a kind of figure it out as you go. But it like there's that kind of secret sauce that you and I have talked about when Mm. we work with like high school kids. Essentially, it's like you bring them together and you like have them do powerful things together and talk about those things and like a lot of magic can happen in that. The yeah. spirit can work in that even when like, the program itself is like maybe not quite as developed uh, as it could be. But you've, again, over these years kind of been developing that. And just I, that's kind of why I asked you on today to a little bit to talk about the vision of leadership. So working with young adults specifically and a lot of those programs wanting to integrate some leadership development in there with, you know, at the heart of the CLA program. Um, and that's something that you, I mean, people talk about a lot right now, right? Like you can go on to Harvard Business Review website and read a huge amount about leadership and things like emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and there's like all these buzzwords uh, about like ways that you know we can be more f- effective leaders it's like that's in the zeitgeist um, sure but then there's also at the same time this like this kind of emerging tradition of some of this this work rooted in Ignatian tradition and things that go back hundreds of years um, and so, yeah, what, what have you found kind of getting into that? You br- bringing together your Ignatian spirituality background, your interest in justice, your interest in leadership development, and then like sharing those with people. What are some of the things you found within the Ignatian tradition that um, are really helpful to draw on when, when talking about leadership development? Yeah, thanks. Um, I also mentioned that your, your lovely wife, Jen, was also one of our best regional coordinators, too, in addition to being an alum of the program. So I'm also grateful for that. But, um, you know, I, I think for me, the, the first place where the connection started to come together in a really obvious way, well, aside from my own experience at St. Joseph's University, is um, when I was when we were creating this, these, these uh, service and justice immersion programs, which are now called Justice Works for high school kids and Service Works um, for for junior high kids, and they're based out of the Center for Faith Justice. I was trying to, um, and, and you very well were part of, probably part of these conversations, but I was, I was trying to think of a way to sort of bring each day to a close, some kind of shared practice. And, and I was thinking about my own experiences of the exam and, and how many insights in my life I had gained from just taking a little bit of time to stop and, and reflect back. And what I, what I saw for the first time is when we, we adapted the exam into a, a, an evening prayer called Gifts and Challenges. And, um, and it was pretty remarkable to watch these high school students 
process what was happening for them during the course of the day, both in terms of their relationship to the God, to relation in relationship to the people they were serving, and also just in terms of who they wanted to be. And <clears throat> that planted a seed for me, I think, that really has been developing in the work I'm doing. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of gifts within the tradition, the Ignatian tradition, and within Ignatian spirituality that I believe uh, can lend themselves to contemporary leaders being better leaders. And, and I think, you know, you talked about the zeitgeist, Mike, and I think one of the things that's absolutely true is there is a, a monumental shift happening in what we think of as leadership, right? And it's, I don't know that we're ever going to be able to point to a specific moment when this transition happened, but somewhere in our culture, we're moving from a hierarchical top-down model. It's about power. It's about control. It's about giving people directions um, to a collaborative model, to a servant leadership model. Um, you know, I'm currently doing a, a, a coaching, a leadership coaching program at Georgetown. It's within the, the Center for Transformational Leadership. Um, so, like, even even the language around what leadership is supposed to be is changing. And I think, in the midst of that change, a lot of people have said um, this tradition offers a lot in terms of this new paradigm of leadership and new ways to think about this leadership. And part of that comes from if you will, doing a kind of a, an examine, right? Looking back on the, the history of the society, their way of proceeding, the other members of the Ignatian family, lay people, women religious, um, that have been part of this and saying, how have they led and why have they led that way? And yeah, I think, I think this is a really exciting time because um, there's not a sort of preset body of literature on what constitutes Ignatian leadership, but it's evolving. And I think people like the young adults in CLA get to be part of a global conversation that's happening right now about what what is Ignatian leadership. And, and I think we're all trying to connect the dots. And it's, it's a really, it's a kind of a fun thing to be doing. Yeah, one of the ways I, re- I noticed that shift, I'm a big sports fan. And you see that, like you see it in sports, like so vividly right now with even like what, in terms of like what coaches are lifted up as like, so even like fictional sports, right? So if you've seen the TV show, Ted Lasso is like the, this fictional coach who like, he changed, you know, he doesn't know anything about soccer, but he's a very good coach because he's very in touch with his players and he's like a quote unquote players coach and that he like wants what's best for them and wants to get to know them and builds relationships and isn't screaming his head off at them all the time. Right. Like when I'm a kid, the like the coach who was lifted up as like this great coach, you know, Bobby Knight throwing the chair across the court, you know, the basketball court. And that's just not the same anymore. You're just seeing like so many changes yeah. there. So like that is definitely one field in which you see these emerging types of leadership. Like, well, look at the guy, the coach, who, 36 year old coach who just won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right? Like such like a different way of being than some of those like Mike. And it's a former types. associate who he played against, right? Who he coached against. Like that's the. I mean, they're they're both young people in, in a new or younger people, younger than me, um, than in a new paradigm of leadership. But I would say even the example you gave, like in terms of. There's a, tr- a long history to this subtle change in leadership. When I think back to sports movies and coaches, I mean, every, I'll, I'll put some gender around this, every guy I knew because I went to an old boys high school and we actually start, but like in Hoosiers, when Gene Hackman turns to those boys and says, I love you guys, everybody I know cried, right? Because that's the leader they wanted. That's the dad they may have wanted. Like, but it was a, it was, it was a different kind of leadership than Bobby Knight, like throwing that chair. Bobby Knight, 
was a great coach, but it's it's. I think we all want to be in relationship with that Gene Hackman character. <laughs> right. So, okay. So you mentioned the examine as like one thing from the Ignatian tradition that yeah. uh, can be like the idea of kind of self-reflection for leaders, kind of looking back at your day, if it's a leader in the workplace, uh, kind of what decisions you made, you know, how they went, um, kind of catching yourself where you saw God in those moments where you maybe didn't live up to your calling. Um, I'm just curious about other any other ways? Like, what are some of the other kind of hallmarks from the Ignatian tradition? Whether we're talking about Ignatius himself as a leader, mm. perhaps ahead of his time, or some of the things that have emerged from uh, the Jesuit tradition that are valuable for for leaders today. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the most obvious one is is cultivating discernment. Uh, you know, I, I I think it's it's really for CLA. It's we, we refer to it sometimes as the theme that's woven throughout every aspect of the program. And the examine obviously is a tool that helps us cultivate discernment. But I think if you were to translate it into a, into leadership language, that ability to pay attention, right. To, to monitor, not just sort of the exterior movements that seem obvious, but those interior movements and how, um, again, to use Ignatian language, you know, paying attention to constellation, desolation, like all these things to me, have broad context even for people who don't identify as Ignatian or even Christian. Um, you know, in, in some of the leadership literature, especially around coaching leaders, um, there's a, a frame, uh, there's a, a sort of a, an idea of, you know, you have this, these three movements, observation, action, results, and people tend to people tend to say, like, I'm not getting the results I want. And they go, they circle back to the action and say, how do I how do I change my actions so I get different results? But in coaching, we're encouraging people to go one step further to go to their observations. How am I paying attention to this? How am I looking at this? What's the context I'm standing in? I think that discernment is a gift that gives us the ability to a cultivate a certain indifference to our own commitments and and follow the ones that are uh, pay more attention perhaps to the ones that serve the mission, whether it's of the church or the organization we're part of. Um, but I think discernment, so it's not only just a great personal spiritual gift, but it's also one that cultivates a skill within us that has demonstrable impact in how we can lead organizations by, you know, you can call it emotional intelligence is connected to this too. It's like, how do I put myself in a different context to look at this situation in a slightly different way and still pay attention to what, what it's, uh, it's kind of eliciting in me. So I, I mean, just you know, and, and I'm obviously one of many people who think that Father Dave McCallum, who's one of the co-founders of, of CLA, is in Rome right now running the Discerning Leaders Program um, for leaders of religious congregations around the world based on this idea and Pope Francis's invitation to um, very st- strong invitation to like encourage people to learn this, the gift of discernment. The one that probably from Ignatian, the gift that from Ignatian spirituality that probably speaks most to me is um, imagination. You know, I remember doing the exercises and I mean, I'm Irish Catholic. I grew up in a family with, uh, where there was a lot of conversation about emotion and things, but like sitting at the foot of the cross and trying to envision like having a conversation with Jesus, that was new for me, right? Like that, that was something that I was like, this is really hard and really painful. And, um, and then it was also really joyous. So, you know, we hear all the time, you mentioned the Harvard Business Review, like, you know, I think one out of every three articles has the word innovation in it, right? And so like, how do we get to innovation? How do we cultivate creativity? We have to use our imagination. And we have this tendency in our culture to 
sort of belittle the concept of imagination to something that children have, but it's actually one of the most important gifts that any of us have. And I think the, the invitation to pray with our imaginations is really important. And then the last one that I'll say, which I just think is uh, extraordinary, is that from the beginning, Ignatius encouraged us to pay attention to our feelings and our emotions. And, you know, again, in in leadership coaching, we talk about the four domains of human experience. There's mind, body, heart, and soul. And like pretty much leadership was stuck in like mind for hundreds, if not thousands of years, it feels like. And this this movement towards paying greater attention to our body and the wider culture. But Ignatius's invitation to like your feelings, your heart, your that's a really important part of your growth. And so I think all those things are spiritual uh, tools and gifts that we have, but they all translate into secular contexts really well and can be used for any leader who's trying to do, uh, to become more of a transformative leader in their organization. So when you sit in a class and they start talking about those things, are you like, yeah, I know, like this is, like we got 500 plus years of this, uh, this is not news to me. Like, do you, do you find it funny that like these things that have sort of been at the, the root of the tradition for so long are like now like, oh, this is really interesting. And <laughs> well, that's another gift, the presupposition, right? Where I'm trying to get, <laughs> trying to have the benefit of the doubt and not, and not presume anything. But um, yeah, I, I, that has happened. You know, I've done a lot of things on active listening and sometimes I'm like, I've been doing like trained in ministry for 25 years. The whole thing is about trying to listen to people. Having said that, these these trends, I think they bring really important additions, right? So um, I'll use CLA as an example. I think CLA does some really good things. We've, we've been in the process of rewriting the curriculum. We're really happy with where it is and where it's going. But it took it took some nudging and, and pushing from the world outside of our, our Ignatian family to make us pay more attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So, so we may be paying attention, we may be discerning, and we may be using our imagination, and we may be paying attention to our feelings, but if we're not doing that in relationship with people who don't look like us or have different perspectives and worldviews and experiences. So I, I have a little bit of that, Mike, but I also really do appreciate um, I do appreciate the ability to bring other aspects into it, make it more holistic. And then the last thing I'll say personally for me is after 25 years in the church, I do appreciate the opportunity when someone gives me language that is not um, theological or pastoral and I can re and I can connect the dots to what I already know. That's a, that's a huge gift, right? Like to be able to say, oh, this observer act results thing and discernment, they, they're connected to each other. That's something that I feel is, is I love doing that. I love being in, the, in a place where I can synthesize these two, these two things that I'm learning and these two traditions that I want to be part of. Yeah. And the idea of synthesizing, so taking these things from disparate places and bringing them together, I think like one danger when you have like modern trends and leadership of a certain style and then like this tradition, the nation tradition would be like to jesuitize it or like mm -hmm. ignatian or like sprinkle some ignatian spirituality on top yeah or take ignatian spirituality and sprinkle some of the harvard business review stuff on top like how do you avoid that like how, yeah what are the ways you think that like these things can we can go deeper than just saying like oh this is just another way of saying discernment like what how do you yeah. go deep there yeah i i think it's you know we talk about 
we talk about it as a gloss. Like, are we putting a Jesuit gloss or are we putting an Ignatian gloss on something? Or are we putting like a, a you know, to use your term, the Harvard Business Review gloss on something? Interestingly enough, we there's someone at the Harvard Business School who is a leadership coach who's also a spiritual director and is thinking about these things too. Um, uh, and she's wonderful. But um, I think the the answer is probably less satisfactory to some than it is to others. But I think we just have to experiment with it, right? Like there's places where the connections are shallow and maybe we have to acknowledge that those connections can be shallow sometimes. And there are other places where they are profoundly deep and there's, there's things to be mined both theologically and sociologically um, on, on, on those things. And it takes, it takes intentional people doing intentional thinking to, to, to mine those things. But I, I regularly find myself thinking, Oh, we just slapped some Jesuit language on this. Like, you know, and, and I have a real aversion to, uh, both coach speak and and also bringing theological language into the experiences of people who are not interested in theological language. Like, you know, as a friend of mine in college used to say, he's, he's a physician, used to say, you all made eschatological up. Don't don't lie. Don't lie. You made it up. So. Yeah, I mean, and that is also, I think, a challenge in Jesuit circles where we have such like a distinct kind of jargony vocabulary to just yeah. like fall back on those things without going deeper. But there's one of those words that you mentioned when you were talking about discernment. And I do want to ask a couple of follow ups about all three of those things. Uh, the word indifference, mm. um, which, again, in a, a context outside of uh, our spiritual conversation could mean like, I don't care about something, but we know that's yeah. not like what. Ignatius meant. Um, and I don't know, I just keep finding indifference to be so important now, especially again, we talk about like the inability for people to have conversations across divides or like I was just reading a story today about how people are moving like a family that moved from conservative Indiana to like liberal Austin, Texas, just so they could be around more people who are like them. Like we, we kind of are self sorting that way. Yeah. And indifference kind of, again, the idea that like, we can't be like too caught up on anything, including like the way we see the world or as leaders, like the way we think something ought to go that we can't hold too tightly to that, but have to be open to another idea or another way of, of doing something. And that might be better. Um, it takes a lot of humility. So how do you understand indifference? Um, in, in the context of leadership. Yeah. So, you know, I think the reason I mention it is because for me, it's a really, it's an important thing I try to cultivate. You know, I think when you have been doing something for a very long time and occasionally been successful at it, you have, you have some ideas about how things should be done. And one of the things that I've, I've been working on for a long time is, um, when people bring, and not really, I'm not even really thinking of, of people who, who, uh, I supervise. I'm thinking really more like participants in programs and they'll say, can I have a conversation with you? Like, this is what I think you're doing wrong. Just to be able to sit across from that person and say like, okay, this is not like, just because you're Sean, you're bringing two and a half decades of experience to this conversation. Like, this is not about you. This is not, this is not a threat to the mission. Like there's, there's a sense of an openness by removing myself from the equation, right? Like sort of keeping keeping the purpose at the heart of the conversation and my ego is moving it as far out of the conversation as I can. And I think that's obviously kind of a way to use secular, secular leadership language around it. But I do think that's the way we, we try to communicate that to people in other contexts who are interested in this tradition. And, you know, it's it's the freedom that that engenders. Really? Like that's the, that's really what Ignatius is pointing us to and the Ignatian tradition is pointing to. Like that indifference creates extraordinary freedom for us to act right and again to use more jargon to like seek the magis like it's we we can 
we can be greater, we can not personally, but we can serve the mission greater by being indifferent in, in the right ways. And I think, I think leaders who are focused on organizational priorities, it's not hard to explain that to them, right? Like they get it like, oh, I'll tell you, I was coaching somebody recently and this person is struggling in a, in a way that's really meaningful, I think, with, um, with the idea of, I want to be of service to my organization, but I also want to advance my career. And I mean, it was, it was wonderful that the person had the vulnerability to talk about that, but ultimately by cultivating indifference, they might come to understand that doing one serves the other, right? Like focusing on the mission of the organization, the purpose of the company they work for in a way that's holistic also brings them closer to what they're being called to do with their lives. So that to me, and that's, and that's a daily challenge for a lot of us, myself included. Um, you know, I think when people say, here's how I think you should be doing this. And, and I'll say just as a caveat, all my work has been with young adult, youth and young adults for 25 years. It's been in justice, it's been in leadership, but it's all been with youth and young adults. And when you talk about youth and young adults in the context of the Catholic Church, the word that's usually associated with it is crisis and like because of the numbers who are leaving the church. And so literally every single person has an opinion on how we're supposed to do what we do. So indifference has become an important tool. Um, so uh, the next piece you talked about uh, was imagination. And mm. I want to ask you about that, too, um, especially like if we're in a crisis and things are not the best right now to like imagine things another way. I just curious for you, as you said, like it's for kids. Like I can see our, my young kids like growing in their imagination, and their imaginative play in ways I don't understand. But like the two of our older kids especially can enter into this world of imagination that's just so fun to watch. But it is like something that feels like a muscle that doesn't get worked out enough for, for adults. I'm just curious for you as a leader of an organization, as someone who's trying to help people develop leadership, like how, what are some like practical ways for cultivating imagination? Like, and then how do you like do those, uh, how, how does imagine, what role does imagination play specifically in, in like say a workplace? Yeah. Um, I think the way that I, I, for me, cultivating imagination has started in a place of using it in prayer. Um, so continuing with what I learned in the spiritual exercises and, um, and I often connect it to scripture, you know, so, um, it's kind of like a, an imagination, Lexio Divina kind of, you know, find what speaks to me and then just really sit in that place. Um, uh, you know, I was, I was recently writing something, uh, for Lent on the prodigal son and you know, this idea of like, not just imagining being the son or the father, but the brother in the field who's pissed off, right? Or even like the servants who are like, what is going on here? And like finding out that, that can open up things that you never heard in that story before and never even thought about in that story. And then if you can translate that, which is not hard, into other aspects of, uh, in, of your life, um, I'm thinking of a particular situation not terribly long ago where there was a group of people involved in a program and they were really upset with the person who was leading the program. And I kind of collected data. I got information from everyone involved. And then I literally just tried to sort of imagine how they heard one another for a while. And when I finally had a chance to sit down across from each group and have a conversation, um, the feedback was like, Oh, I feel like you really understood what we were talking about. I think it took me some, I had to take some time. I had to, practice trying to imagine what their experience was there and you know again that's all connected back to emotional intelligence but the other piece of imagination is 
you know, uh, in the joy of the gospel, Pope Francis invites us to sort of to develop like this missionary option, right? And he, he says like, um, our focus needs to be the evangelization of the world and not the self-preservation of the church. And like, what an invitation for imagination, right? Like we, in Ignatian Young Adult Ministry, we are dealing with a group, working with a group of people who are passionately interested in the gifts of Ignatian spirituality, but they're feeling, a lot of them are feeling alienated from institutional church life. And so without imagination, how do we engage them? How do we, how do we have a conversation about what's possible and being church in new and different ways that are equally in service to the gospel, that are equally informed by, you know, the life and ministry of Jesus. So I think really that can be applied. Anybody who comes into a recalcitrant situation who insists on trying to do the same thing over and over to get this, the same result or different result. I mean, I think they say that's the definition of insanity, right? Like we have to use our imagination to sort of find our way out of those loops that we get stuck in. I think about this kind of use of imagination in the spiritual exercises and Ignatian tradition and connected to also to like this idea of, and you have those experiences to like pay attention to your reaction and to pay attention to your emotions, which is the third point you talked about. Things that got Ignatius thrown in jail, right? Several times, mm-hmm. things that were controversial at the time, this sense that like God could work directly with to with each person um that that hey like these are these experiences these things we're taking in our senses god can talk to us that way um and it, now i think it's pretty clear that like you know emoting or talking about our feelings is like a, a much more like acceptable thing um i'm just like curious like what to pay attention to those things without then like i don't know drifting into emotionalism mm-hmm. or yeah. So just say more about what you mean when you say like the importance of kind of paying attention to emotions as a leader. Like, um, yeah. How do you see that playing out? Yeah. So I think, well, I think to answer one part of that in terms of how is it not drifting to emotionalism, I think it's the fact that we're paying attention to emotion to be holistic, right? We're also paying attention to what we're thinking, to what we're feeling spiritually, what we're feeling emotionally, what our bodies are doing. I mean, that's another pretty new realm for a lot of us to explore you know i i used to get migraines and then like i knew it was from stress but you know i would take pills and it would go away but eventually like i was like oh if i just practice i started to practice mindfulness and the migraines went away and i was like well that i don't even want to think about why how long ago i could have stopped taking that medication i think for a lot of us it's unexplored territory but i think the way that the the emotional is super important is that it's not it's not uh, it's not separated from those other three domains, right? If we are unwilling to reflect on our emotional state, then we're unwilling to pay attention to how it impacts our thinking, our bodies, and our spirit. And I think I think that's what Ignatius knew, right? Is like when he was in desolation, I, I'm I'm going to go ahead and use my imagination, but I imagine when he was in desolation, like his body hurt. I mean, the man had a limp for the rest of his life, right? Like I I can imagine like his leg hurt when he was in desolation. Like I don't know that to be true, but for me, when I use my imagination or when I, when I'm trying to reflect on my, my emotions, it's easy to start to connect dots in terms of like, Oh, you know, you were really engaging with your staff when you were feeling this. And when you were feeling depleted, you know, you were a lot less engaging and by effect, they were a lot less impactful in their work. So I, I don't, and for me, I don't envision sort of the engagement with the emotions as um, we need to sort of talk about what we're feeling 
every minute of the day, which is just kind of an emotionalism. And I actually, I would probably not really enjoy that. Um, but I also think creating safe places for people to say, hey, you know what? I'm struggling right now. I've been locked in my, my house for two years because of COVID. I miss people. I'm not doing my best work. If we, as, as, as a supervisor, as a leader, you need to be able to hear that and realize that someone was A, just very honest, very vulnerable, and B, also saying to you, I'm capable of more. I just need, I need like to be in a different place. Like, you know, if you want to put that in purely secular context, Mike, like the cost of hiring and training new people is one of the least understood aspects of, of how organizations work. You know, really advanced organizations get this. The Catholic church does not necessarily get this, right? They'll say, well, they've worked here for a while. They're going to move on. Like, okay, now we have to train someone and bring them up to speed. You can also just create space for people to sort of process where they are in life. And, and I think there's, there's literal bottom line implications for, for creating safe places for people like that. So I, I think it's, it's, it can be t- difficult because there are people who live more in that emotional place. And sometimes you have to draw them into some of the other parts of, of human experience. But yeah, that, that's sort of for me how it, how it plays out. Sure. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about like a leader in your own life who has been influential. You would be at the top of my own list, but I'm curious for you in terms of people who have displayed some of those things, who are kind of experts in discernment and imagination and um, kind of in touch with their emotions and good at like bringing out other people's and giving space for that. Are there any people in your own life who have kind of modeled that for you, who you'd, uh, whether they're famous or not or living or dead? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of them. And I think that... Um, I think a lot of the people that I worked with over the last 25 years, people um, who maybe I led, are, such as yourself, are people that I, I really do admire the trajectory of their lives and the work they've been trying to do, whether it's in religious contexts or not. My mom is a huge inspiration. My, my best friend worked for the Jesuits for 20 years and literally taught me most of this language, you know, um, when I went and worked for other organizations, he kept working for the Jesuits. Ironically, he's in HR now and he's being, he's able to bring all these gifts into his HR experience. The sort of person I keep going back to as my periodic check-in though will always be Dorothy Day. I think, um, you know, we talked at the beginning of this conversation about transformation, right? Leadership, like the transformative model of leadership. And she had a conversion that was transformative, not just for herself, but so many other people. And, um, you know, I realized a long time ago that I used to feel like a bit of a failure for not like living in a Catholic worker house. And, um, that wasn't my vocation. And I, but I do, I read a lot of her letters and I taught, I read this vulnerability where she communicates with people that she cares for and who care for her about how, um, about the work she's doing and the sense of vocation she has, but also, how the feelings are playing into that and how exhausted she is. And I'm like, that's, I don't know. She, she, she will always be sort of my, my uh, guide star, I think on those things. Well, Sean, thank you so much for yeah. taking the time for these uh, reflections. Perfect for President's Day week, which is when this will be coming <laughs> out. I know people like to celebrate President's Day for two, three, four weeks sometimes. So we'll yeah. make sure we get it in there. But no, I think it's been great stuff for reflecting on uh, whether or not we're like leading organizations. I think there's a, a lot here with how we just relate to each other, people in our families, uh, people who we do work with. Um, so I really appreciate your, your insight. And I, I, I do think you, you have a great way of making sure these things are, are kind of deeply rooted. And I, to, I did not think our conversation was putting a Jesuit gloss on this. Stuff. Oh, good. Uh, good, so good. I'm glad. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's always good talking to you, Mike. Look forward to doing it again. 
AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.